Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. Tonight I want to speak to you. Don't you listen to your radio? No, I'd like to talk to you tonight. I could listen to you talk all night. Welcome to the night. Mr. Bradley. Bradley Jason L. Next caller, you're on the air. While the others sleep. A little conversation. We will find you searching for BZ, J-Talk, and Bradley J, Mark Lavallo, and joining us, our guest, Michael Coyne, Massachusetts School of Law Dean. Thanks. Nice and to be here, as always. Classes just got out today. Classes just finished. Uh, my last class finished tonight at uh, about 10.15, so it's... Uh, and you have a certain pep in your step, and that has <laughs> something to do with it, right? Uh, it has, and uh, you know, I'm physically feeling better, finally, from my broken leg, so uh, thanks to my... Uh, physical therapist and my doctor, so things are going well. You have, you have hardware in there, right? I do. I have a lot of hardware in there. It's uh, 12 screws and a plate that's probably about six to eight inches long. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Do you feel it in the cold? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can feel it actually cold. I can feel it in the rain. I can feel it most times. You, it's The plate, the doctor told me it's about an eighth of, eighth of an inch thick. Um, which is not insignificant. And, you know, that's that's uh, to me that's kind of funny because you always hear people say, oh, pins. I've seen the x-ray. They're not what I would call pins. They look like sheet metal screws. But Some of them are an inch and a half long. You've seen the x-rays? Yep. And they go in at different angles. And yeah, think- yep. but it, my leg was so badly broken that I needed those. I needed that in, in order to help it heal. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're looking so well and – Obviously, feeling so well. So let's start with the anti Camelot, the, uh, the <laughs> Trump Trump world. Michael Cohen is the latest uh, of the president's men to plead guilty to lying to the feds. Why don't you just give us the whole primer on what's going on? Well, uh, yet another one of the president's men has pled guilty to lying to investigators. Um, that follows Manafort and Flynn and Gates and Papadopoulos and uh, a number of the relatively close allies of the president in 2016 and early 2017. Um, and uh, what it raises is some troubling issues about the, uh, the question of is there a culture of lying there uh, within um, that circle of people who don't appear to have much uh, concern about lying to the investigators and attempting to deceive them, uh, even where it becomes a crime. And so Michael Cohen has now pled guilty, the latest. Uh, Michael Flynn will be, uh, the government will file a memorandum tomorrow with the court with respect to Michael Flynn and potential sentencing issues. Um, He was also previously pled guilty to it. Manafort, uh, the government will file another 
uh, memorandum come Friday with respect to those sentencing issues, which people are probably pretty aware of now that how the government uh, now feels that uh, despite the plea agreement that Manafort was not cooperative and has lied numerous times since his actual plea. So so what it raises is the question is, well, how close to the president does this get? Does this um, implicate the president somehow in 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 all of these uh, lies? And, and if it if it doesn't, um, what does it actually mean that that close subordinates of the president are um, lying to uh, investigators? And what would be the purpose uh, of all of this uh, mountain of lies that, that are made? So um, we still know further uh, along, or at least as we know, to finding out what the, 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 the nexus is with respect to the collusion uh, with the Trump campaign in Russia. But I think we're nearing the end game here. But it, it raises the question when you start to think about it is, is that do, do, does honesty matter to people anymore? Do, do items uh, such as integrity matter? Or is this the culture we're becoming? You called it the anti-Camelot. Is it that men like uh, George Bush, the deceased president, um, who, whether you liked him or hated him, uh, certainly had an air of integrity about him, uh, statesmanship-like qualities, and uh, that's not necessarily what we've seen in the the early part of the uh, people who uh, the administration of the people who are close to uh, the president here. Speaking about President Bush, one thing I noticed about him, he seemed like a genuine public servant, uh, Le- far less of an ego. He was competitive, but he did seem to be a genuine public servant. Whereas everybody since Clinton and even President Obama had a giant ego, and uh, well. And this president certainly has an ego as well. Seemed, he did seem like a the last of a, a breed of servants yep. to me. I think that's I think that's a, a great observation because when I do think when you look at uh, President Bush, the first President Bush's career, uh, he was committed to public service, and he really was, as people describe it, a public servant his his entire life. And I think it was far less about what we've seen more recently about me, 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 and what this either financially or from a standpoint of ego or from a standpoint of ambition uh, means to the individual holding the office as opposed to that this was uh, 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 an important matter where you had the ability to serve the public's interest. And, and I think most people see it just the way you've described it is that um, like him or hate him, uh, he was committed to the notion that that service to country was first and foremost in his mind. And I think most people think that that's that he accomplished that again, whether you uh, like or dislike some of what he was able to achieve. All right, let's talk to Steve and Braintree. We have an early adopter here. Hello, sir. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you tonight? Thanks. Good, Steve. How are you? Excellent, excellent. My 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 concern here is is one of a, a little bit of a, the, the, the abuses that, that federal prosecutors tend to engage in. And, you know, it, when you have an underlying crime and then the person lies about it or something related to that, then, yeah, no problem. You want to catch them at a 1001, that's great. It's, it's like candy for most federal investigators. It's what, they, it's what they trap them in. But, you know, here, 
you know, especially with General Flynn, the actual investigators who did the 302s, including the FBI director uh, at the time of the second there, McCabe, didn't think that he lied and they were not going to prosecute. And then it's picked up by a federal prosecutor who says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to prosecute him. And then, you know, they bring the full force of the federal government to bear on him, bankrupt him, and then sort of force him into this plea deal when, you know, to be fair, if the people that interviewed you in their 302 didn't think you should be prosecuted, you know, it starts to get a little bit of abuse of process. And then, and then this, you know, the Michael Cohen thing is just this guy, you know, is a complete, not a liar to begin with. So was he lying to Congress or is he lying now? I mean, there's some real concerns here as to which testimony do you believe and what are you going to do with that witness you know, now that he's an admitted liar. I mean, it's one thing for the federal government to put up a gangster who admits to committing crimes, but once you get him convicted of perjury, that's a defense attorney's dream. Like, oh, my God, you know, what, what are you going to believe? What, you know, what your lying eyes are telling you? So a lot of these convictions, you know, if you told me what the underlying crime was and they lied to you in furtherance of it, I don't have a problem with it. But when you you're making all these dots that don't seem to be connected anywhere, and it's all, you know, process crimes. You know, I, I just, I lean towards what Professor Dershowitz is saying. It's sort of like, oh, you know, you're politic, you're criminalizing politics instead of, you know, prosecuting polit politicians who are actually criminals. And it just, it begins to concern me from a from a civil liberties standpoint. You know, it, it this just seems to be a lot of abuse of process here. With a guy with an unlimited budget, you know, that, that's what they say. These federal prosecutors, they literally can bankrupt you, as they did to General Flynn, who's an American hero. I mean, he, you know, did he, was, was he 100% truthful in an informal meeting? You know, if you're there to entrap a guy, you probably should have said something to him ahead of time. If he, you know, you make a phone call and say, oh, I want to have a, a private meeting. What happened in that phone call? And then you entrap a guy. It just seems to be a lot of abuse of process here that, you know, maybe there's some secret smoking gun, but it doesn't seem to seem to be a lot there. I, it, that's just my concern here. You sure it was entrapment? I mean, are you expecting us to just accept that word? Is that is that oh, when, yeah, obvious you, on the you, face of it to FBI everybody? Agent, when you when you call the national security advisor up and you want to have an informal meeting in his office and you use that as the basis of a one thousand one. Uh, it, it begins to feel a little entrappy to me. I okay, mean, two things. If, what's a 302 right. and what's a 1001? It's my, since you brought it up, I have to ask. 1001 is the federal statute that you charge for lying to investigators, and a 302 is an FBI report. They produce their reports on what's called a 302, and then they give it to the supervising special agent, and that becomes a part of the underlying file. All right, let's have Dean Coyne give it a go. Yeah, I, I don't dispute the uh, notion that uh, you advocate that uh, the federal prosecutors have an enormous amount of power and bring that power to bear to, at times, coerce people uh, to provide them testimony or to even potentially uh, ha have them acknowledge that they are committing crimes that, because of financial reasons or the pressure that they feel from wherever, um, that they, it's, it's easier to capitulate and to accept a plea than to continue to push. I, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, but, but I think what we also have to look at and what worries me is that, you know, shouldn't these people who are uh, our public servants, to borrow uh, our, what we were talking about before, be men and women of high integrity? And to the extent that they are prepared to lie to investigators— 
that would suggest that uh, where it's a crime that that they would lie to us, they would lie to anyone else as well. And so I'm I'm not all that sympathetic to these smart people with resources who instead of likely accepting what many lawyers would provide as advice, which is don't cooperate, don't make statements, and certainly don't lie to investigators, that instead think that they are smarter than the average bear and think that they can fool people with enormous resources and power. And and that's what's kind of intriguing and troubling to me is that many lawyers uh, would tell their clients that cooperating with these investigators, especially where you potentially uh, are exposing yourself to criminal prosecution, makes zero sense and would recommend to them to exercise their their constitutional rights. So I I do understand what you're saying, and in part I I agree with it uh, on many different levels. I mean, if you remember, Whitey Bulger was convicted uh, for for many reasons, but Whitey Bulger was convicted on the word on on at least in part on the testimony of John Matarano, who had killed uh, twenty people. He was a, a serial murderer, and the government still put him up there to testify against uh, Whitey Bulger. It doesn't to me. I, I, that's no more credible <clears throat> than putting a perjurer up on the stand to testify about mm-hmm. about something. So the government a lot of times uses. Uh, testimony that has uh, been procured through deals with witnesses and the like. Um, And I would have thought that many of this group, lawyers and uh, sophisticated business people, would would know, and General Flynn, who is a a leader of our military, would have known better. And and frankly, I think we should be able to expect that that they would... um, be honest with respect to the investigators or choose not to cooperate at all. So I, I do understand your point. I'm just not as sympathetic with it because in every case, whether it's a, a, a simple drug dealing case in uh, one of our communities or it's a case uh, you know, with white collar crime uh, that goes to the top levels of the federal offenses, the government <clears throat> always uses whatever tactics they have available in order to try and obtain um, convictions. May I ask about the entrapment, Michael? Do you, entrapment is when you're kind of coerced into behavior that's illegal that you would not otherwise have engaged in. Do you see entrapment? The key is, no, I don't see entrapment. And the key is the last part of it is that you wouldn't have otherwise engaged in. And from what we can see with virtually every single one of these people, um, that this is the type of behavior they not only would have engaged in, but have engaged in a lot, which is deception and not being forthright. Steve. I don't, I don't agree with the assessment on, on Michael Cohen either, although I do, I, again, I think there's some truth and merit to the argument. But it, to me, it should be incredibly troubling to all of us that the president's most trusted advisor and counselor for, for over a decade was now someone who we are uh, saying was a sleazeball, uh, couldn't be trusted at all, is, a, is an out-and-out liar any chance he gets. And even the president said on Twitter that today that he should go to jail for a very, very long time. Uh, again, and this was your most trusted advisor for a decade um, that you feel is uh, absolute scum, that, that's worrisome. Steve, through the word 
entrapment out there. And I think that's a loaded word and important. And if it's true, that's all, that's fine. But I just want to, if you can tell me how the people were unfairly induced to behavior that they wouldn't otherwise have engaged in, why didn't they just tell the truth? Or even better, just zip it and not say anything. Well, you know, and entrapment might be a little strong, but when, when this agent struck, whose testimony, uh, I believe, after watching it, was, was less than credible, along with his supervising agent, Andrew McCabe, who, Aaron, both of those individuals are embarrassments to law enforcement. They should not have had their jobs. They should not have been doing this job. But when you, you know, call the, the uh, interim national security advisor on the phone and, and want to come by his office and have a discussion, when you already know the nature of the phone call, because you would listen to it, and then you engage him in a conversation, and there is no underlying crime in the discussion that he had with the Russian ambassador. You know that going in. And then you ask a question that when he provides the answer in your 302, you don't think he's lying, and your supervisor doesn't think he's lying. That's why there was no prosecution until after the special counsel was appointed. They, they didn't think he was lying. Mueller picked it up and decided, no, no, General Flynn was lying even though the FBI reports didn't indicate that. When you already have the information, and I know it's not a custody situation where you have to issue Miranda, but if you're doing an investigation that is no longer national security and you're looking at it as a crime, then you should probably advise people what you're doing in the office. You weren't just there as a national security agent, which Peter Strzok was. You were not there in that capacity just following up. You were there as an investigator. I, I just find that to be a, a very deceptive way that they approach this and to then get it picked up and to have it, you know, prosecuted that way. If what he did was not an underlying crime, then what were you doing investigating and asking that question in the first place? I, I Again, I have no problem if you find a crime and you want to investigate it and then people are deceptive with you no problem, but the, you know, you need a crime there. And well, you're, you're investigating nonsense. Russian collusion. Well, and it well, wasn't just right, but if, if Russian if, if collusion. If conversation with as national security advisor, you know, appointee was not a crime, then what are you even asking a question about it? Because there was nothing illicit or illegal about his discussion with the foreign ambassador. There's been no allegation that he committed a crime because they're the only charge is the one lying to federal investigators. There's no actual charge related to the conversation that he had because there was no crime there. That's my problem with process crimes, is that it, it sort of skips the underlying issue, which is what is the crime that you are asking the questions about? And, you know, in local law enforcement, you don't get this because people can lie to you all they like. They made this special carve-out in the feds, which is, and it's relied on a lot, this 1001 charge, which is, you know, it, 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 it really, uh, I don't think they're, these judges are interpreting correctly. It's Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's supposed to be a material issue that you've lied to investigators about. It's not like, you know, oh, you had the conversation at four. No, you didn't. You had the conversation at two. You know, let's, let's charge you for that. You know, if there's no underlying crime, then what did he lie about? Well, okay. You follow and, and you're right. Yes, I do. And you're right about the material aspect of it, and that is part of it. 
But I, I think, at least in part, we're glossing over a little bit. The whole idea behind a plea deal is that you accept, a, generally, a lesser charge, and you are not even necessarily charged with some of the other offenses you did commit. And I think with General Flynn that there were other offenses there that he is not charged. General Flynn didn't want to be charged with those, and that was part of the negotiation and the plea. you got to remember there were some significant issues with General Flynn's lobbying and activities on behalf of other foreign governments uh, where he, when he was uh, potentially going to, to deal very, very closely with national security. And I think there were some issues there with the failure to disclose information that should have been disclosed. So the fact that he wasn't charged with other offenses doesn't necessarily mean he didn't commit it. He commit those offenses. What it means is it was part of the plea structure such that this was the deal we could make. So I'm not so sure that 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 premise yeah, that, that there weren't that would other be the, underlying that would, that would crimes. That would be the foreign uh, the foreign agent act that about every law, every lobbyist in uh, in Washington D.C. has violated that at some point in time. Uh, I don't disagree, sort of but do you expect your, is, sort of a, are you comfortable that your national security advisor is a lobbyist for a foreign government? Oh, I I mean I I. I, no, I don't think he was a lobbyist. I mean, he took some money from a Russian TV or something like that back in the day. I, well, but some, I money, more, my, some, my some is, money, Steve, kind of minimizes how much it was. My recollection is <laughs> it, it, it was well into the six figures. That was about 50 grand. But, you know, the, the point is, is if, if we're and this is where I, I happen to lean towards what, you know, Professor Durswich is saying when he when he gets out there and says we, we shouldn't be criminalizing politics that could be turned around and criminalized on the other side. And I just I don't see where all of this is going. I could be wrong. There could be a smoking gun somewhere. I'm just not seeing it. And, you know, if if this whole endeavor is not which you can't indict a president anyways. Right. So I'm like, where is this? Where where are we going with this? Is it is it going to be that, you know, we get, you know, the the Papadopoulos thing was uh, was a joke. Two weeks in in federal prison for a, a 1001 charges. You know, it's laughable that this is the guy that you were going to put up there. I mean, I want to see something substantive. I want to see something that's, you know, an actual underlying crime. And, and, you know, right now we have— now we're repeating ourselves, so we're going to move on. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, a very smart guy. Have I think he's right, guys. though. I think Great we all. I think I, actually, I think no matter which side of the the equation you fall on, I think everybody wants to see something more. We want to know what the facts are and and <clears throat> and put them on the table so that we can all make our own assessment as to what actually did happen here. I I think we everyone's in agreement on that at this point. Absolutely. Good night, guys. Thanks. Thank you. The uh, Russians paid Flynn nearly seventy seven zero thousand before the U.S. elections documents show, according to the L.A. Times. So, well, that was good. He's a smart guy. I'm glad. Oh, he- yeah. And and listen, a lot of people uh, feel the same way. The the And that's the part of, part of it is this investigation has gone on so long that people are weary of it, and we want to know, is there any merit to the notion that the Russians and the Trump campaign colluded together, conspired together to affect the election. Because I think everyone now accepts that to, to Russia, to some extent, attempted to influence and alter the election. So now the question is, did they do it with the assistance of anyone um, in the Trump campaign and, and who that might be? And uh, obviously it's starting to focus on the, the son-in-law and the son of the president, as well as Roger Stone. Uh, and that was another interesting part of this that came out today in Trump's tweets, is that uh, he praised Roger Stone 
for standing up to uh, Mueller uh, and to uh, having the guts not to cooperate. And uh, uh, the thing about Roger Stone is. He, if he could get more famous by going to jail, he would go to jail. <laughs> Fame, I, I don't know. I think you're probably right. Yeah. That's all he cares about is, is notoriety. Now, uh, this is probably a good time to ask if Mueller set up the president in any way by waiting until the written answers were submitted to, to, to reveal a plea deal. Well, I do think the timing is uh, curious if we look at it. Uh, the... Uh, the whole the likelihood is that the Cohen deal had been arranged for weeks, if not months, uh, with respect to that plea deal. Um, but they were waiting, or at least we ultimately know that the Cohen deal uh, wasn't presented to the court till just a day or two after the president submitted his written answers to questions that he told all of us he he wrote he wrote himself. He didn't need lawyers to write them for him. And so there's a question of whether they had uh, set him up to get his answers that they know Cohen likely had already contradicted, but wanted to have the definitive answers in writing from the president uh, before they announced the Cohen plea deal. And that's the question at this point. What do Trump's written answers say? And are they contradicted by information from Cohen or Manafort or others and there is a sort of a suspicion by some that um, they may have been playing, knowing that Manafort was, in essence, playing a double agent when he was supposed to be cooperating with investigators because they continue to have a, what we call a joint defense privilege with Trump's lawyers, that were, was some information deliberately led, uh, given to Trump through his lawyers that was done to mislead. Uh, Trump and his lawyers about the strength or the weakness of, of Mueller's case. It's a cat so, and mouse game. Yeah, it, and it really is. And that, again, raises some of the issues Steve said is that, you know, shouldn't the federal prosecutors be more forthcoming, be more direct? But frankly, that's just not the way prosecutors on any level really work. I mean, we've got numerous cases uh, that say that they don't necessarily have to tell you what they have in advance of any charges and the like. At some point, there's discovery in every criminal case, and there's an obligation to convey information to the court, but not in the early part of the process. If we were required to tell every suspect uh, what exactly we had, then they would be able to uh, shape their defense in accordance with what we evidence we might possess. That's just not the way the investigatory process works, and it's, it's not required to. So How you do wonder whether there was a setup of some sort here or an attempt to try and get the president to fall into what people are calling the perjury trap. And All you so, would have to do is tell the truth. Yeah, correct? it's not a perjury trap if you tell the truth. Right? That's right. That's and, correct. Uh, is it, could it be a perjury trap if you tell the truth but two other people say something different? Well, technically, if they don't believe what you're saying and they have proof and could be just the testimony of witnesses of the contrary, then— if they chose to, they could still charge you with perjury, saying you're lying because others, uh, and we have other evidence that contradicts that. It, it What it means is likely one of you is lying. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you're the one doing the lying. What if the president simply wrote, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall on every question? Well, that, and that, if you, uh, you know, that is the likelihood of many of these answers. 
Um, it's hard to prove that someone doesn't remember. That's why President Clinton did, uh, you know, the same thing is that he didn't remember a lot of things and he didn't even know what is is. He asked what the depends on what your definition of is is. So a lot of people play that sort of the, that evasive game and it's because it's hard to prove you don't remember something. And if you give any answer, after the fact, you can say, oh, now I do remember. Well, and that and oh. that. I see. You're right. Now I remember. And that's the saving grace of it, where instead if you say, no, the answer is X, and, and it turns out that there's proof contrary, now you are potentially facing the charge of either lying to investigators or potential perjury, depending on the circumstances under which you made those statements. Is that good advice for everybody on the street? No. Uh, Let me say, I don't recall. No, I, don't I, don't, recall. I, do, I do not agree with that, and I know some... Lawyers and others. I've got a case now where uh, uh, that I have no doubt that that was the advice given to one of the witnesses who claimed over fifty times they didn't recall or they didn't remember in a relatively short deposition. I do not think that that is correct or ethical or even appropriate. I think you uh, the first uh, instructions I give any witness is to tell the truth. If they truly don't remember, they shouldn't guess. Um, and if they don't recall, they should say that. But to the extent they can answer the question directly and succinctly, they should. And to not to not to not be evasive when you know the answer. Just you don't need to volunteer information either. But the first rule by most lawyers is and should be: don't lie. Is the Fifth Amendment appropriate in any of these scenarios? Yeah, the answer is yes. It would have been appropriate. It would have been wise. And I really do not understand why uh, they didn't. Uh, an individual can take the Fifth Amendment anytime they believe that the answer might reasonably tend to incriminate them. And that means either directly or just form a link in the chain where the answer ultimately would assist them in being uh, prosecuted for criminal charges. So as long as the answer might reasonably tend to incriminate them, they have the right to take the Fifth Amendment. And that's if, even if they're not the target of the investigation, even if it's the, the investigation doesn't focus on the criminal activity of you, as long as the answer would reasonably tend to incriminate you. So the fact is, is that especially where a lot of this dealt with violations of various federal laws, including election laws and the like, they, they would have been able to exercise the fifth. And, and that's what's kind of intriguing about it is, so why did they uh, not exercise it when these are, not, these are people with means, yeah. with good representation, uh, one would have expected, and certainly the means to pay for it, why wouldn't they have done that? All and right. Why did they instead? I have three possible answers. Go one, ahead. one, just so comfortable with lying that it didn't seem like that big a deal. It just was a natural. It just flows out. Two, maybe they were actively trying to misdirect, whereas just taking the fifth would not misdirect. They wanted to give the wrong message, and they were doing that out of some loyalty, or I guess. And the other, what's the other one? Is uh, the other possibility? I, I guess only two. I can only think. No, of I thought that, I thought that was three. But I, oh, I, right. I agree with each of those. I think that that all had to be part of it. Um, I also think there's a fourth, which is these are people uh, of power and influence who know they have uh, allies at the various highest level of government, and thought that they could uh, use that power and influence to avoid 
prosecution. You're talking or, about a pardon? Uh, I'm not just talking about pardon. Okay. I'm saying, you know, things, deals are made much more privately with people in power and a wink and a nod and a, and a co- phone call to this or that to, yeah. to do a favor for people. And I think they're used to, uh, the, many people of influence are used to being able to do things behind the scenes that, that then never see the light of day. And, I, and so I think that this is sort of, in part, the culture of power and influence that many of these folks enjoyed and thought that this would just be another aspect to that. So I think all of those things could be examined as to, to why this uh, came about in the way in which it did. Um, but the fact is, is that uh, in my opinion, and I think in others as well, there, there's some significant mistakes. Uh, and it's if you if uh, you intend to, to to not be truthful to investigators, then the far better course is not to say anything. Because how many of these people have been charged with virtually the same crime? You would think one of them would have been smart smart enough at this point to say, "I'm just not going to say anything." It must be frustrating to be their attorney. Uh, well, you're assuming that the attorneys uh, gave the appropriate advice yeah. and they refused to follow it as opposed to, uh, which is much worse from my perspective as a, as a lawyer and someone who teaches future lawyers, is that the lawyers may somehow have assisted them with attempting to perpetrate this fraud. Uh-huh. I would hope that's not the case. But we unfortunately know that that sometimes it is the case. Okay, well, three four minutes to the top of the hour. How does Comey figure in and Comey's uh, testimony behind yep. closed doors? Well, and again, this 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 happened today that um, the um, uh, congressman uh, Congress wanted to know again from Comey, have him come in and testify. Uh, and what, in part, the Republicans are trying to gain access to it, at least it appears, and this is the, the concern, uh, is to uh, things that would undermine uh, the investigation or, or Comey's motives for why he did what he did and when he did it. And so they, uh, before the House turns over, uh, as it will in January, uh, they're trying to gather more information to potentially uh, undercut uh, Comey's position as well as Mueller's. And that's the concern. So Comey said, I would testify in, in the light uh, of day. Yeah, in the light of day. And uh, that offer was rejected. The compromise ultimately is he will testify in a closed door hearing. And I think that was likely uh, took place today. And that uh, within 24 hours of the testimony, the entirety of the transcript of that testimony will be released. And so, again, gets back to the question that, that, at least in part, I think our first caller referenced, is, is when are we going to see what actually the details of all of this uh, manpower and resources has uncovered instead of just a little more of the fencing and the posturing yeah. that, again, is the political aspect of it. If you're a Democrat, you believe one thing and can't believe anything else, and if you're a Republican— you believe the opposite and can't believe anything else. I think people are tired of the political gamesmanship that that both sides have engaged in in some respects and want to know what do you have that's worth um, either moving forward on or let's move forward because there isn't anything else. Comey wanted to testify in public and the other side didn't. I'm 
curious about why he would want to be, have it be public and why the others wouldn't, and who gets to decide? Well, it's, at this, they've reached an agreement, so it doesn't know that, there doesn't need to be any arbiter okay. of which way it goes. And their agreement is is that he will testify, and I think it, it actually occurred already, yeah. that he will testify today that within in secret, and within 24 hours, the full transcript will be released with respect to what he's had to say. Now, obviously, that could change depending on whether he um, has uh, given information that should otherwise be confidential or uh, remain secret until uh, we understand that the special uh, counsel's uh, job is done and the like. But at present, that's supposed to be released. Who, who it all benefits? I mean, I, I, I think it's a question about who gets to control the message. If Comey is able to do it and it was public— um, then he can say whatever he wants to say, and the, the public would have his message unfiltered. Uh, I think he believes that the Republicans uh, could potentially be trying to shape and restrict his message, and that's why I think he would have preferred it public. Uh, and the Republicans wanted to, to make sure they, they understood what it was that he was, pl- he was said before they decide, um, uh, you know, what— uh, public access to that information in full couldn't be. So it's, it's again, I think it goes back to one of the things we've, we worry about, and many people are, is this all just posturing by both sides? So it, it doesn't make a difference what they're saying. It's a question of who you line up with politically, and you're going to side with that side no matter what um, the issue is. And, and I think all of us would like a lot less politics and a lot more substance at this point to know what what actually took place. Michael, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Bradley. See you uh, soon, and I'm looking forward to improvement, a month's worth of improvement on your busted leg. There. Uh, me too. Okay. I'll see you next year. WBZ. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.